All righty, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter to you all. It's great to be here together worshiping our risen Savior. And if you are new with us, I just want to say welcome to you. My name is Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors here at Walnut Creek. And I know some of you are probably visiting from out of town, which is great. It's always good to see people's family here joining us. Uh, but if you're from the Des Moines area and you do not yet have a church home, I want to challenge you and invite you uh, today uh, to not remain a visitor. Okay? Our, our hope, our prayer really is that uh, believers in Christ, that they would walk in God's design for Christians, which is to be knit into the church, to be part of the church and to walk alongside other believers in Christ. And so if you're here this morning, you're a visitor, you're from the Des Moines area, you don't have a church home, I want to invite you to do one thing before you leave, which is to stop by our Welcome Center and pick up one of these. It is a study guide for the book of Luke. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 24 this morning studying the resurrection of Christ, but Luke doesn't end right there. There is still a lot of ground for us to cover in Luke chapter 24, and over the next three or four weeks, we're going to be walking through the very end of Luke together as a church And I want to invite you and really challenge you to join us for that, okay? And if you are up for it, then I want to ask you on your way out, just stop by the Welcome Center right outside of those doors, pick up one of these study guides, and come back and join us for the next three or four weeks as we study the Word of God in the book of Luke together. Okay, we're going to begin our time this morning in the Word, and I would encourage you, if you have a Bible or if you have a study guide, get it out, get it open to Luke chapter 24. We'll begin our time uh, by reading the Word, and, and I want us all to follow along together and listen to the Word of God, then we'll pray and we'll be on our way studying the Word of God together. But this is our text, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, and it says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, They came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in but did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified. They bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here. He has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went home amazed at what had happened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you on this Easter Sunday for the risen Christ. We thank you that in Christ all of our sins have been Forgiven, paid for upon the cross. It was finished upon the cross. Death is defeated through Christ. And he has raised from the grave. God, you have raised him up, seated with you, exalted, gloriously resurrected. And we celebrate, we worship 
him today because through the risen Jesus we have life. We have eternal life. The forgiveness of our sins. The hope of heaven, God. May we worship. May we celebrate the risen Jesus together this morning. And we pray it all in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, a great philosopher once said this about life. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It's true, isn't it? And you see, the point he's trying to make, and obviously, in a box of chocolates, the irony is you actually do know exactly what you're getting. That's what the box tells you. But his point was this. Life is full of surprises. You don't know what to expect in life. You can have hopes, dreams, plans, thoughts, but life doesn't go according to your plans or mine. How it all unfolds is often, in fact, not according to my plans. Mike Tyson, another great philosopher, he once said this, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. (laughs) And see, that's what life sometimes feels like. You have a plan and then life happens. We've got plans, and things don't always go the way that we expect. I, I remember being a young man, and I was madly in love with my wife, Jenna, at the time. And, and she wasn't yet my wife, though. She was just my girlfriend. We were dating, and I had this plan to propose to her. And I had hatched this really amazing plan, if I do say so myself, uh, to go up to Minnesota, where we're both from, and propose to her at my parents' house uh, on the lake that they live on. And so I had this plan all worked out where I was going to take my wife out uh, on this romantic canoe ride. We were going to paddle out into the middle of the lake. We were going to stumble across this bottle that I had planted out on the water years before. No, it was actually just (laughs) a few moments before. And we were going to stumble across this bottle, find it, and say, oh, that's weird. Bring it back into shore. Open it up. Inside, there was a romantic message. And then I was going to propose to her, slide that ring on her finger. And then we were going to walk up the steps from my parents' beach up to their house. And the big surprise was we would find her whole family and my family gathered there together for a glorious, delicious feast to celebrate our engagement. But what I didn't anticipate is that she would say no. I'm just kidding. (laughs) What I didn't anticipate was a slight miscommunication on the timing with my 60-year-old dad. And so when my dad saw us paddling back towards the dock and her family wasn't at my parents' house yet, he thought to himself, oh no, it's too soon. And he, what I found out later was he thought that we were supposed to get engaged out on the lake. And I thought, Dad, it's a 16-foot canoe. What do you want me to do? Like, throw her the ring? Not going to happen. So he sees this coming back to the dock. And he thinks to himself, oh, no, it's too soon. Jenna's family isn't here. So he sprung into action to help me out. And before I know it, we're landing. I'm about to, like, make the magic happen. And my dad is cruising down the steps with no shirt on. (laughs) In his swim trunks, and he invites us to take a dip with him. (laughs) Things don't always go the way we expect. Just take a life lesson from me. And you see, for the disciples, this whole week had not gone according to plan. They, They were in Jerusalem for this holy week, a wonderful, special week. And they were there with Jesus 
their teacher, their friend, who they had followed for three years. And while they're there in Jerusalem, it's supposed to be this incredibly holy week full of worship. Their teacher, Jesus, is arrested, then beaten to within an inch of his life in front of their eyes. And then crucified. It was not what they expected at all. Nor was what happened next. When just a couple of days later on that first Easter Sunday. The women who had faithfully followed Jesus for three years. They arrive at the tomb with burial spices in hand. To anoint their teacher's body for burial in the grave. And what they found was an empty tomb. It was not what they were expecting. It was not what anyone was expecting. But what happened on that very first Easter Sunday, more than 2,000 years ago, it is the single most important fact in human history. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at the resurrection this morning. And as we do that, we'll make three observations about it. My hope is that the resurrection, it wouldn't just be the most important fact in human history according to me but that you would see it is the most important fact in your history. And we'll do that through three observations. Observation number one, the resurrection was foretold. The resurrection was foretold. And it was foretold more than 700 years in advance, written down for all of the world to see. It was foretold through the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to look through the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53. But before we look at it. I want you to notice the specific details that Isaiah includes. About the death of Jesus. Pay close attention to what Isaiah recorded for us. More than 700 years before Jesus was even born. And, and I want us also to consider the reality that the list of events that fits into this category, okay, this category of things that have been foretold 700 years in advance and then actually happen, and then 2,000 years later, a billion people still celebrate and recognize, the list of events that fit into that category is very, very small. This is part of the reason why we say the, the event that took place almost 2,000 years ago, it, it is Without a doubt, the single most important fact in human history, regardless of what you believe about it. But look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. Remember their insults. Skip to verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Remember his trial like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked. Speaking of the criminals, he was crucified alongside. But he was with a rich man at his death. Speaking of the tomb that he was laid in. Because he had no, done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. And yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. 
When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. And notice this in verse 11. After his anguish, after his anguish, his death, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. What Isaiah is telling us is this. There's life after death for God's suffering son. He says after his anguish, there will be light. After his death, he will receive the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty As a spoil. Do you know who receives the mighty as a spoil? Not dead people. The resurrection. It it is baked into the cake of Isaiah 53. Isaiah foretold that God's suffering son would see light after his death. And receive the ransom. Receive the spoil that he is due. And it wasn't just Isaiah that foretold the resurrection of God's suffering son. It was Jesus himself. Jesus told his disciples many times that he would be killed and rise again. In Matthew 17, Matthew tells us that Jesus had told his disciples, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. In Mark, Jesus was even more explicit. Listen how precisely Jesus explains what is going to happen to him. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man, step one, will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. He's speaking of the Jewish leaders. And they will condemn him to death. That was his first trial. Step two, then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans. And they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. Jesus foretold all of that before any of it had come to pass. Point is this the resurrection, it didn't just happen, it didn't just come out of thin air. Literally hundreds of years in advance, all the way up. To the point where Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. The resurrection of Christ was foretold by God. By Christ himself. That's observation number one. Observation number two is this. The resurrection was unexpected. It was foretold for hundreds of years. And yet the resurrection was totally unexpected. I thought this week, if that isn't irony, then I don't know what is. And I also thought this week, I don't actually know what irony is. I'm not an English major. But how do you have something foretold for 700 years and then repeatedly pressed into and stated again and again by your teacher who you know and trust, but just totally catch people off guard? Well, this is what... Happened. And we see it as we walk our way through the text in Luke chapter 24. The disciples were the disciples. They were not anticipating Jesus to conquer death and rise from the grave. And we need to remember the context for our passage. So the setting is this. On Friday, Jesus is crucified. He's hung on the cross. 
He dies and is taken down off of the cross on Friday afternoon. He's wrapped in grave cloths and then placed into the tomb Friday evening. The tomb was sealed by a large stone rolled across the entrance. And Luke tells us in Luke 23 that the women who had come with him from Galilee, so Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Joseph, they, they come to watch this all unfold and observe the tomb and how his body was placed. They watch Jesus, dead, wrapped in cloth, buried in the tomb. Then they returned and they prepared spices and perfumes. Then they rested the next day on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So the next day was Saturday and the disciples do nothing on Saturday. But what did happen on the Sabbath on Saturday, Matthew tells us, is that a troop of Roman guards were stationed at the tomb of Christ so that nobody could mess with Jesus' body. That was Saturday, the Sabbath. And then we arrive Sunday morning. And we get to Luke 24, verse 1, and it says this, On the first day of the week, which is Sunday, very early in the morning, still dim, the women who had followed Jesus, they come to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. They are bringing burial spices to anoint the body of Jesus for the grave. You see, these women, they had been following Christ for three years, walking with Him, learning from Him, following Him. And they came to Jerusalem with their teacher, For a holy week, a a holy time, a special time of incredible worship. But what happened in the span of just a few hours is that they were betrayed. Jesus was betrayed by one of their own closest friends, arrested, beaten in front of their eyes, and then crucified and buried in a tomb. And these women have come back to the tomb of Christ the day after the Sabbath, on the third day, on Sunday. And they are coming back expecting to find the body of Jesus, to be able to anoint his body with burial spices and perfumes for the grave. But that's not what they found. Luke 24, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, confused, suddenly two men standing by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. What a great question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Do you know what the answer to that question is? They weren't looking for the living. They were looking for the dead among the dead. They were at a tomb looking for the body of their dead leader. But instead, they find no body of their Lord Jesus. And there are two men who are like radiating, speaking to them now. And they tell these women, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember, remember the words that he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Saying, it is necessary, it must happen that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. 
and they remembered his words. And after they remember these words of Christ, they're starting to piece together what's actually happening at this empty tomb of Christ. They run back to the other disciples. It says, returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. These words seemed like nonsense to the disciples. And they did not believe the women. It was so disorienting what was going on that their words, the the women describing the empty tomb, it just seemed like utter nonsense to them. They had no category for it in their minds. And they didn't believe the women. They didn't believe that the tomb was actually empty. And so Peter stood up and John, he tells us that he went with them. He got up and he ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. No Jesus. Just the grave cloths. And so he went away amazed at what had happened. And he was amazed, not in the way that we're amazed at a great meal. He was amazed as in what is going on. How did this happen? Shaking his head. You see, the resurrection, it was not on the radar of the disciples. It was foretold. But it was forgotten. They were not anticipating, after everything that had happened, their own friend betraying them, the arrest of Jesus, his beating, His humiliation, his crucifixion, his death, his burial. After all that had happened, in just the span of a few hours, this completely chaotic whirlwind, they were not expecting Jesus to defeat death and rise from the grave. It was totally unexpected. And yet at the same time, observation number three was absolutely essential. It was absolutely essential. Remember verse 7. Jesus had told them it is necessary. It must happen that the Son of Man be crucified and rise again. The resurrection is essential. The whole Bible, all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And I think this is a big deal. From that very first Easter Sunday... Till today, Christians have never shied away from the resurrection. From that very first Easter Sunday, Christians have never shied away from putting all of their chips in on the risen Christ. What do we mean by that? Well, from the time of the early church till today, Christians, it is Christians, it is God Himself who continually puts a spotlight on the resurrection of Jesus. It all hinges, all of Christianity, all of God's word in the Bible hinges on the truth and the integrity of the resurrection. It is central to everything, and God, through his word, is publicly declared to the whole world, if you want to dismiss Jesus, if you want to dismiss Christianity, If you want to worship 
other gods, if you want to follow other religions, if you want to follow no religion at all, worship no God at all, then what you must do, and all you must do, is disprove the resurrection. That's it. Just go after the resurrection. You want to reject Christ? Worship other gods or worship no God at all. All you have to do is deal with the resurrection. Dismiss and disprove the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul said this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which he is, which he is, Remember again, Christians from that very first Easter Sunday have never shied away from proclaiming the risen Jesus. If he is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And listen to this in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, everything we say, it is in vain. And so is your faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith, it's worthless. It is utterly worthless. All of it is a sham. You are still in your sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If the resurrection is not true, all Christianity means nothing. Our faith is empty and we ought to be pitied. And it is God himself through his own world, word who has pushed all of the chips in on the resurrection of Christ. It is absolutely essential. Christianity lives and dies with Jesus. So God is telling us in 1 Corinthians 15. That is why Jesus kept telling his disciples it is necessary. The Son of Man must be killed and rise. The resurrection is essential, but this is the question I want us to think about this morning. Why? Why is the resurrection absolutely essential to Christianity? Why can't we instead hang our hat on the morals that Jesus taught? Why can't we instead just hang our hat on the fact that Jesus was a real human being and he taught good things? Why the resurrection? And you could probably list ten different reasons why the resurrection is central to Christianity. But I want to give you just one reason this morning. Here it is. The resurrection is essential because the resurrection declares beyond anything else that the wrath of God for your sin is finished. It is poured out. And you can have peace with God through Christ. The resurrection of Jesus declares beyond everything else in the world That God's wrath for sin is satisfied in Christ. It is finished. And here's how we know this is true. And I want you to follow along with this. See, what we know is that Jesus dying on the cross, he wasn't just there suffering at the hands of men. It wasn't just the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was the very wrath of God holding his son crucifixion Jesus on the cross was not just suffering physical death he was suffering under the actual wrath of God aimed at his son Isaiah 53 remember he tells us he was afflicted by God 
struck down by God. First Peter 3, Peter tells us that Jesus was suffering for our sins. He was not just suffering because he was found guilty by the Jews of a sin he did not commit. He was suffering for our sins. And he wasn't just suffering physically. He was suffering under the actual, real wrath of God. Because 2 Corinthians 5 tells us he became sin even though he knew no sin. He stepped into our place on our behalf. And when Jesus became sin, he suffered that which sin deserves, which is death under the wrath of God, condemnation. Colossians 3 verse 6 says this, because of these, because of sin, God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. God's wrath is what comes to those who are in sin. Romans 6, incredibly famous passage. It says this, the wages of sin is death. What sin deserves is death. And what Jesus received when he became sin on our behalf was death under the wrath of God. We looked at John 5 last week. Jesus, he he told us that those who have done wicked things, we will be brought up to the resurrection of condemnation. Eternal condemnation, eternal death. Jesus upon the cross, he is suffering under the hand of God, the wrath of God. And he's suffering the condemnation that sin actually deserves. Now sin, it doesn't just deserve momentary condemnation. That's not what the word of God is talking about. Sin, it deserves eternal condemnation. Everlasting condemnation. That is what we would receive If we were to get what we deserve, what we have earned through our sin. And yet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion. Jesus is on the cross receiving the punishment that we had earned through our sin. He was crushed because of our iniquities, because of our sin. He was not just crucified because... The Jews found him guilty of sin he did not commit. He was crucified because of our sin, receiving the just punishment of our rebellion and iniquities. He became sin for us and was punished under the wrath of God for it. So here's what we need to understand. What our sin deserves, if we got what we had earned through our sin, is eternal, unending unquenchable wrath and punishment from God. So then, how do we know that there isn't still wrath remaining for us in our sin? How do we know that God is not still full of anger and wrath How do we know as believers in Christ, how do you know that when you sin, God is not still full of wrath towards you? Do you have that hope? Do you have that confidence? How how can you be sure? How can you have hope 
and confidence. If you are in Christ. That when you sin. God is not still full of wrath. And punishment towards you. And I will tell you this. It is by looking to the resurrected Jesus. It is by seeing that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. How do we know that God's wrath is fully exhausted? It's because we see Jesus is not still suffering under the wrath of God, but instead he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. There is perfect peace. He is exalted. He is risen. You see, in the death of Jesus, there is wrath that Jesus is suffering under. There is not peace. And yet when all of God's wrath has been fully satisfied and poured out, it is God who raises him up from the dead. And seats him at the right hand of the Father. There is peace and exaltation. Not wrath and condemnation. And for those of you who are in Christ. The same is true of us. See the resurrected Jesus. Is the declaration that all of God's wrath for your sin. For those who are in Christ. Has been fully poured out. And exhausted. It is no more. And that's what we have access to. Life in Christ. Real, permanent, unshakable forgiveness. Through faith in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2. Paul tells us you are dead in your trespasses and sins. This is what is true of human beings. Of every person. By birth and by choice, death in trespass and sin. Because that is what sin deserves. Eternal death and condemnation. But God, says in verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love that he had for us, he made us alive in Christ. We are alive with Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. And so too are you who are in faith in Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by God's grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Do you know what he's saying? There is no longer wrath because of the resurrection of Christ. It is finished. It is poured out. So now, instead of condemnation, God gives us willingly through faith in Christ, mercy and grace that we may be exalted to the right hand of the Father. Seated with him, enjoying all of the heavenly treasures of Christ that he has earned by his own death on the cross. The resurrected Jesus declares for us that God's wrath is finished. And by faith in Christ, he says, we too are raised to life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you are saved by grace through faith. But it's not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. The resurrection is essential. It is absolutely essential. All of Christianity, all of the Bible hinges upon the resurrection of Christ. Because through the resurrection of Jesus, God is telling us you can be saved. But not by your own works. Not by your own righteousness. 
not by your own effort. It is simply by the finished work of Christ on the cross and the triumphant resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The question we must simply answer then is this. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Do you worship him? We're going to close our time together this morning in communion. And very briefly, I just want to mention, especially for those of you visiting us, that if you are a believer in Christ, we invite you to join us at the table as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we don't take communion lightly. And we will tell you this, if you are not yet a believer in Christ, then communion, the Lord's table, it is not yet for you. Our prayer absolutely is that one day you would join us at the table, remembering the death of Christ through the elements. But if you are not a believer in Christ, that day is not today. And we would ask that you abstain from the table, honor the table by abstaining from the table. But if you are genuinely in Christ, if you are a believer in the risen Lord Jesus, then we're going to take a few minutes here as a body of believers, joining together in remembering the body of Jesus broken, for us through the bread, the blood of Jesus poured out for us through the cup. And we're going to take a couple of minutes. I will pray, and then, and then you can take a couple of minutes. I would encourage you at your seat, spend some time in prayer. Spend some time with those around you, worshiping the risen Lord Jesus for the salvation that we have through his body and blood. The elements for communion are underneath the seat in front of you. You can go ahead and grab those now if you would like. The cup and the bread on top of it. And this time of remembrance at the table, it is for us as believers to be united with one another and united with Christ through the physical elements that Jesus left with us to point us back to him, to point us to our crucified and yet our risen Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we we thank you this morning. For the risen Christ. We worship you today for the risen Christ. It's through the risen Jesus that we see the debt of our sin is fully paid, completely exhausted. Your wrath stands against us no more by faith in Christ. Lord, we are fully forgiven. Though we will sin again, God, we have no fear of condemnation because of the work of Jesus and the triumphant resurrection of Christ. He did not stay in the grave, but he has risen, and he has risen indeed, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.